I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In this episode of Law Talks, Ellie is joined by Roger Bamba. With over 30 years of experience, Roger is a partner and joint head of the National Family Law Team at Mills and Reeve, one of the largest in the UK. He specialises in complex financial cases and has recently been involved in one of the largest international trust cases brought before the UK High Court. Outside of his work, Roger has promoted innovation within family law through his own YouTube channel, his website www.divorce.co.uk and the Divorce UK app. So what route did you take into the law? Uh, slightly unusual one. Um, I've never wanted to be a lawyer. So uh, it was parental pressure, really. You know, uh, my father was a solicitor. My grandfather was a solicitor up in the north. And uh, they said, well, you know, get a qualification and you've always got that to fall back on. So I started uh, my degree uh, doing Anglo-Saxon, Norse and Celtic, which is pretty obscure. And I have to say, I'm really glad I did that. And I would recommend to anybody who wants to do you know, something else before going into the law. But it's a really absolutely the right thing to do. Uh, and then I, then I did law. And um, so uh, I got a, managed to, despite an awful degree, get a, some uh, articles, as they were then, training contract. And uh, once I'd qualified, I qualified into private client um, work. So doing trust work, probate, wills, conveyancing. It was a real r- mixed bag in those days because there was much less specialization. Anyway, the bloke who was doing divorce dropped dead. So um, as the person in the department who was the most junior, uh, nobody else wanted to touch these files. They said, here you are, Roger, you can do these. And I found that I really enjoyed them and found them very interesting. And, uh, and lo, I found my vocation. So that was, uh, that's how it happened. And family law really is vocational. I mean, it's something you would run a million miles away from or you just would absolutely really get and enjoy. 
well yeah that is really interesting very sort of non-traditional way to come to the family and sort of divorce law um did you have any interest in it before or was it just kind of complete chance complete chance really although you know my background is sort of almost makes me genetically programmed because uh i mentioned my father was a solicitor well my mother was a child psychiatrist and so uh you know uh, and my brother, with whom I was living at the time, uh, he was a psychiatrist as well. He still is. And uh, so we'd go out you know, having some beers of an evening, my brother and myself, and I'd end up talking about my patients and he'd end up talking about his clients. So there is that sort of you know, family background uh, to, to sort of uh, make, uh, to, to push me in that direction. And it is, it's a real mixture of psychology psychology uh dealing with people looking after people principally uh as well as you know more traditionally legal things like you know legal principles and getting legal solutions yeah it's i've always thought it was a really interesting kind of um subsection of the law um and with you said that previously when you started it was kind of less specialized when you applied for the training contracts in your degree uh, where you applied, was there any kind of specialist area for that firm or was it kind of, um, did they cover all areas of law or just out of curiosity? Well, I mean, to give you an idea, um, I mean, this is, God, you know, way back in the 19th century, of course, but, um, you know, the firm had 14 partners and was regarded as a mid-table firm, a mid-sized firm in London. You know, so that's that's how it was. And so it was uh, a commercial firm uh, with a strong private client edge. Okay. Oh, yeah. So very kind of broad, broader market. So very broad. Yeah, very broad. Interesting. And sort of throughout your career, have any particular cases stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say individual cases. I mean, there's some that sort of go on for years and just think, God, will this ever be over? Um, some uh, ones I look back on with satisfaction are ones where trusts were involved because they are really uh, interesting from a purely legal perspective uh, in divorce cases um, and acting for trustees in those cases. So you have to think much more strategically and they are much more uh, intellectually satisfying because you can be so influential without getting involved. Uh, it's, it's really, really great. But I mean, actually, some of the cases you remember are nothing to do with uh, legal aspects at all. They're to do with the people. Uh, the family histories behind each one are always different. So when people who don't get family law say, oh, it's all the same, you know, husbands leaving wives and all that. I mean, my God, it could, that couldn't be further from the truth. Every single first meeting you have with a client is this extraordinary story coming out and helping those uh, those uh, families through that particular set of problems is just such a privilege. It really is. It's humbling. Um, and so the, the, the cases you remember are ones where you have had a terrible family situation and you've helped to resolve it. Um, I mean, even the very simplest ones. I, mean, I had a very pregnant mother come in once with uh, a toddler. And she had just got this terribly upsetting letter from another solicitor um, saying, my client isn't going to pay any maintenance. He you know, doesn't think the child is his. It couldn't have been more aggressive. Mm -hmm. She was desperately upset. 
And I yeah, started talking about the human side, you know, is he going to come to the birth? Oh, yeah, well, he wouldn't miss the birth for anything. And, you know, is he, is he a good father? Oh, he's a fantastic father. So you then ask the, the question, well, why are you apart? Yeah. And the reason they were apart is because they had to live with his mother, who's a right old so-and-so. And, -and, -so. and uh, anyway, eventually, I wrote back to the other solicitor proposing marriage. And it was accepted, you know. And in a nutshell, that was the perfect solution to that legal problem. Yeah. And they, they married and I hope they lived happily ever after. So, you know, it, it's human first and then it's, then it's legal. And you use the legal to help the human, I think. Uh, so when you come into it, it's, it's yes, uh, of course, it's about wealth preservation uh, and it'd be naive to think otherwise. But uh, the human side is obviously the side you always remember and the side that gives you uh, the greatest satisfaction, I think. So the you know, clients will ring you uh, 20 years later and, and say, thank you for what you did. Wow. And I can imagine sort of most of the time these clients are potentially in some of the biggest kind of upheaval of their lives. So it's absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And so uh, the thing that's given me huge satisfaction as well is working with therapists. Mm -hmm. So as well as the two sort of areas uh, when you're thinking about uh, careers in family law, there is how the law operates, you know, the, the, the actual case law, black letter law, mm -hmm. uh, and the complexity of that. But also there is how you do it. You know, so it's it's how do you get cases through to a solution with, with the minimum damage? Uh, what's called dispute resolution now uh, was called alternative dis dispute resolution, but it, it really is it sh is the main thing now, and certainly should be. So it, it's how do you get them there? So I would always use uh, I'm at the very much the nut cutlet end of the spectrum, I have to say, you know, when it comes to the practice of family law, I'm, I'm sort of the vegan end, um, rather than the dripping red meat end. So I would always be very happy to use therapists, to send them off to therapists, to stop them coming into the law too quickly. So that, in other words, so that I, as a lawyer, aren't just firing the emotional bullets, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, so to use an analogy, there are two processes happening. There's the psychological process and emotional process. And then there's the legal and financial process. And my job, as I see it, is to keep those running in parallel. So the legal doesn't impact on the psychological and the emotional, and the emotional doesn't impact on the legal and financial. So that's, that's what I spent a lot of time doing. And uh, it, that was, that was the, the more interesting end of it, in my view. I think that family law frankly is pretty nuts uh you know it's judicial made and it's frankly it's a busk you know and you get judges like you know the late peter singer who would say this is a complete busk anyway that's gone slightly off no, no but there we are very yeah. interesting how often just out of curiosity when kind of clients come to you are they usually already kind of have that therapy side or is that something that then you would recommend uh it's uh, they generally wouldn't actually. Uh, I mean, sometimes they do, uh, but in a minority of cases, I would say. So, yes, in almost all cases, unless it's, uh, yeah, yeah, in almost all cases, I would recommend therapy. Um, either to go away and think about the decision you're taking. You know, is, is there really no alternative? Mm -hmm. um, to then supportive therapy, you know, 
coming to terms with the decision you've made, thinking about the wider implications for children and family and wider family, how to manage those psychological things as well. Uh, I've, I, you know, I think it's really helpful, often very difficult. Uh, I mean, being sexist about this, I mean, women tend to be much more amenable to those things. Uh, there's, a, there is a three dimensionality sometimes, uh, generally when acting for women, it is often absent when acting for blokes. Um, so, but so persuading blokes to therapy is quite difficult, but then you say to them, well, if your business is, uh, you know, collapsing or if you're merging or demerging, you'd get management consultants in, wouldn't you? Oh yes. Well, of course. So you then will, yeah, isn't that the same sort of thing here? Yeah, that's actually a great comparison. <laughs> Um, and I actually just noticed what you said earlier about kind of sometimes, you know, cases feel like they go on and on and on. Is there an average time scale for cases? Can you ever kind of predict that in divorce? God, no, I'm very unpredictable. I mean, they, people used to say it's uh, two years to get the actual divorce and the finances through. But I mean, the, uh, it, it shouldn't be that long. Uh, the courts are, are have been desperately run down. Uh, by this government and previous ones, frankly, uh, without being too political about it. Mm -hmm. um, so there aren't enough judges. The court staff have been pruned beyond redemption. Uh, courts have been shut down. And basically, you know, you, you get the sense that the government would love it to be privatised. So they would welcome arbitration, private arbitrations, private FERs. And I think those are certainly the way of the future. Mm -hmm. Just they would be anyway for a, a lot of reasons. But, um, you know, it is uh, very difficult to predict. It's, it's a really dreadfully, dreadfully run down um, public service now the court, through the courts. Yeah, I think definitely that we've actually had a really common theme of hearing that from people we've been interviewing um, and things like that. Could you just explain a little bit more like private, it was FDR? Yes, yeah, sorry, yes. How, how that of works? Course. Um, they are basically... Uh, um, you send people off so, and have a barrister or a solicitor appointed as, uh, as it were, a private judge. Uh, FDR means financial dispute resolution. So it's a, uh, during the normal court process, you would have a financial dispute resolution hearing in front of a judge. And you present your case, you put forward the proposals, it's all on a without, without prejudice basis. And then the judge would give an indication as to what he or she thought the outcome would be. And then you go away and hopefully negotiate a settlement. It's a very, very sensible thing to do. Mm -hmm. So uh, having a private one means you do it uh, outside the court system. So that because everything gets gummed up and you may have to wait nine months for a hearing, you say, well, listen, let's, let's appoint somebody next month um, who is in so-and-so chambers or such and such a firm. And we'll go and do it privately in somebody's office or chambers. And, uh, and that's the way it works. And it is very successful and very helpful thing to do, particularly if you've got um, somebody sympathetic and uh, really good at uh, helping couples negotiate running the show. Whereas arbitration is different. Arbitration, you actually come to an award. And it is a formal process leading to a binding judgment, as it were, binding award. Okay, very, very interesting, kind of different from, I suppose, the traditional picture of divorce courts. Um, 
and I suppose much quicker and sounds like a better solution than waiting for being able to go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and frankly, so many any, uh, shouldn't be there anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, God, the um, the poorness of legal advice. Um, you know, people just don't start negotiating mm-hmm. until they're several months in and, and tens of thousands of pounds down in legal fees. I am constantly shocked by how you know expensive it is before anybody's actually thought about what the solution is going to be. Is- so there's a case, a case for mediation in lots of cases as well. I was uh, one of the first mediators uh, back in the late 80s. And yeah, that is a far better process. Keep it, keep it away from the law courts where necessarily things become positional quite quickly and defensive and therefore aggressive. Uh, and more difficult to to shift. So uh, entrenched, you know, it's a bit like the First World War. Suddenly you're in 1914 and everyone's got their fixed positions before you've actually had a chance to explore different options. Whereas mediation can be much more flexible and open. So definitely more efficient problem solving. Um, I suppose a way of summing it up. Just out of curiosity, we're talking about sort of legal advice. is there a problem with clients or with that kind of highly emotional nature of divorce not always wanting to take the legal advice or is that more just TV? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. You've certainly hit the nail on the head there. So um, have you heard of an, an organisation called Resolution? This was set up in the 80s and it has a code of practice and you become members, not that all the members stick to the code of practice by any means, but... Um, basically putting the children first, trying to resolve things sensibly through negotiation and constructively. Well, uh, the man who set it up um, said he spent the first half of his career arguing with the other side and the second half of his career having set up resolution, arguing with his clients. So those of us who I hope are conscientious uh, would spend a great deal of time uh, managing clients' expectations uh, if one could put it in those terms. And again, you know, if, if somebody is absolutely rabid and uh, they, shouldn't be, they shouldn't be in a legal office uh, calling the shots. But, you know, I mean, people are people. It's a very human existence. It's human first and legal second. So managing those expectations, <clears throat> controlling those emotions, getting a realistic, grounded idea of what the case is going to be uh, is, you know, a really important part of it. And, you know, people are desperate to get their case in front of a judge. You know, they want justice. Uh, and as I always say to them, you know, you don't go to court for justice. You go for uh, to the court for a decision. And it's usually not a very good one, frankly. Um, so let's try and sort it out uh, without going to court and without spending tens of thousands of uh, pounds in legal fees. That's always quite persuasive. Yes, I can imagine the kind of financial side can be very effective in persuading a sort of shorter time yeah. to get. Definitely. What are so we're kind of talking about sorting it out and the problem solving around divorce? What is there kind of often um a theme that is always kind of the biggest complexity in a divorce case? Or or is it kind of can be all sort of different things? It can be all sorts of different things, but uh I mean uh Cases are often as complex as the their financial arrangements. But that doesn't necessarily mean 
that simple cases settle easily because they don't. You know, you can, it, it's that emotive thing of this was my pension that I worked really hard to build up. Uh, and it's, it's that uh, sense of ownership that this is mine. This isn't anything we ever agreed to share. Uh, as against, you know, well, how am I going to live in my old age? You know, where's the, where's the need? Uh, how's my, how are my needs going to be met? So it's, it's very difficult to judge, really. Uh, every, and every case is different. All the personalities are always different. You know, the circumstances, how the wealth came in there. It's very difficult to predict. But, I mean, there are basic principles and making sure people don't starve is certainly one of them. Uh, but in, 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 very, in cases of very great wealth, then uh, you know, those, those do take some sorting out. Um, children cases can be so emotive. You can imagine, you know, I want to take my, client, my child abroad to live permanently. I mean, the impact of that is just devastating. Mm. I mean, those are really binary cases. Um, and I think children cases have become increasingly complex with, uh, and all cases actually, with the international element. So cross-border disputes mm. are huge now because London is the divorce capital of the world, it is often said, with some truth, and therefore fights about which jurisdiction the case is going to be heard, um, the impact of different laws in different countries, uh, the different conventions and so on. I mean, gosh, you're, you're suddenly into a whole new dimension of complexity there. That's incredibly complex. Yeah, I was actually going to, you kind of answered my follow-up question was, does how much does the aspect of having children in the marriage change the divorce um, and how it's all treated in the courts? Yeah, hugely. I mean, so if, if childless, if a couple does, don't have children, then it's much more straightforward because... Uh, you don't have to think about uh, long periods of time while the children are growing up and the support that's needed there. Um, <clears throat> you can actually, people tend to be more aggressive in those cases because the gloves are off, because there aren't children, you know, they're not going to be parents. So you don't have to worry about um, you know, the future of parenting relationships because that's going to be central. If you're, if you're a conscientious family lawyer, what you really don't want to do is undermine the parental relationship going forward. I mean, those parallel lines that I mentioned before, obviously the emotion psychological is there forever, potentially, or for a very long time at least, particularly with children. So, you know, undermining that uh, is really important to avoid. Um, so, and, and children cases have got much more complex. Um, they really have. So we have de now developed um, <coughs> On me. Um, children cases have become much more complex. It used to be the case that you know you might do seventy percent finance and thirty percent children in your caseload. Uh, we realised over the last decade or so that yeah that really isn't good enough in providing uh, an in-depth service. So we now have within Mills and Reeve as well as those guys who would do you know. 30, 40% children uh, and the rest finance. We now have just dedicated children lawyers as part of the team. And that's, that's one of the things we are going to be developing in the future. So we've just got a partner who's uh, specialised in surrogacy. 
another partner who specializes in international aspects of child law, because you are suddenly you know, in areas of complexity that you can't do as somebody who is, you know, does, you know, you call yourself a family law specialist. You're actually not, uh, particularly as a child lawyer these days, unless you do it the full, the whole time. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. I hadn't even kind of considered surrogacy and, and those kind of different aspects. Um, and yes, yeah, I suppose you've actually sort of touched on this a little bit, but how would you describe how family law has changed during your career with the internationals? Um, well, international, as we've been saying, has become much, much more uh, centre stage and affects, you know, a, a huge amount. So my practice was entirely domestic for the first three quarters of it. And then it became you know, much more involved with international work. Um, and that is, it, it's surprising how that affects so many more cases. Um, the rise of mediation has been a huge aspect of a huge development of ADR, alternative dispute resolution, what is now called dispute resolution. Um, that, that has had a huge impact, not as much as it should because boy, you can take lawyers out of the court, but you can't take the court out of the lawyers. You know, judges are staggeringly conservative. So they should be sending far more cases to mediation and halting legal proceedings, financial proceedings. Uh, there should be much more time given to training judges on that and actually getting them to respond. I'm really disappointed by that. Um, it's just staggering how little that has developed, in my view. And things like collaborative law have failed because of that, really. Um, arbitration hasn't taken off as much as it should. It may still. Um, private FDRs, because they mimic the court process. I mean, that's how conservative it is. But nonetheless, DR is far more important than ever it was, even if it's not as important as it should be. Uh, another thing that has developed um and frankly only because of covid mm -hmm. is having uh, online hearings believe it or not they were demonstrated in the late 1990s and the uh the judge in charge of the um, main court in london demonstrated how successful they would be well not to, to have introduced those for 25 years is just i mean staggeringly incompetent and again, not getting uh, digital side up and running because the government bought an appalling process in, in the 90s called Family Man. Can you imagine? That's what the software was called. And, um, and it stuck. And the Americans who ran it would, were going to sue the government for half a million pounds if they changed a single word. So legislation had to be drafted so it ran according to the software for fear of the government being sued. I mean, that's how appalling family, family law has been run. But anyway, now that the cat is out of the bag, mm -hmm. I would hope that that will be a much more important side to it and the portal and so on. The digital side should now really uh, take off in a way that it hasn't. Um, and, uh, and I think tools around the, um, the digital side uh, strangely, I uh, I set up a, a website in the nineties, divorce.co.uk, which was a great information, which I set up as an information site because I'd stopped doing legal aid, uh, and I, my conscience pricked me to to do something for free, and um, <clears throat> so I 
so that was that was helpful and that side of things giving information for free and having really good uh, video blogs and stuff uh, that's really helpful for the clients so they come in well informed and that helps take down the emotional pressure because they've actually started to think and engage in how it's going to happen but other other things as well um i helped design a um a maintenance calculator for a, a government site after 2008 mm-hmm. divorce stopped in the recession and it did so internationally you know it used to say that middle england went into the spare bedroom uh and it was true you know people just stopped divorcing so we had lots of people with nothing to do so we we devised this thing called the um for the money advice uh, bureau uh, a maintenance calculator um i mean i'm the least technical person in the world my when I explained this to my children, they actually cried laughing. But um, anyway, so you you would put all your um, your uh, figures in, and it would help you work out what was practical. It's very simple, but it was it was very effective. Things like that, I think, are going to come in uh, much more in the future. Um, and so they have developed, but not as not as quickly as they might. Incidentally, have the the inadvertent effect of forcing the divorce rate down in china really um very strangely yes it got ripped off uh in china and it went viral and all these all these uh single child families mm-hmm. uh when they were getting married and divorcing they all went on to this and calculated that they couldn't afford to, to pay maintenance so they all stayed together so the divorce rates for a few years in china went off a cliff <laughs> wow more of inadvertent consequences there you are uh, yeah there's some i actually haven't heard of um kind of some of those different developments they're really interesting and you kind of hope that they're gonna increasingly maybe with covid as well as a shove take yeah be part of family law yeah i mean i think it's your your generation is going to make, make the difference there i mean that, i think being imaginative about those aspects mm-hmm. um I mean, I also think that uh, and online therapy and you know the use of those soft skills and the development of those soft skills around the uh, the human side in solving the emotional problems uh, and where they overlap with the legal problems. I think those are going to be the really interesting uh, things for your generation to look at. Definitely, there's some really interesting developments there, and and actually most of our listeners are um, kind of around sixth form age, and they're kind of thinking about going to the law and things like that so questions that we kind of always ask um the two main ones are what would you say are the biggest challenges uh in entering a career in the law the first one yeah well um i think it's very off-putting um it always looks so formal and scary uh when you're in the sixth form uh, or deciding what to do at university as I said earlier, I would always do, if you can afford to, do what you want to do, like study history or science, because they will always be make you better lawyers, actually. Um, and uh, going to law where, where and when you can. Getting contracts for training is difficult. Uh, getting barristers, pupillages, even more so. So you've got to be very determined. Um, but it's, you know, it, it can be done. You can work while studying. So when I, uh, in my firm, though, when I started off, um, there were two or three partners who had worked um, in the postroom in the office. Mm-hmm. 
and they you know qualified doing night school and you know done done the hard way uh, and been very successful i think it's less easy now because of the cost of courses and things uh, so it's it's the sheer cost i think that's the, the worst of it but if you can get a training contract um which, which supports you through those and that's that's the way to go definitely i think it's sort of i feel like a lot of, a large aspect of it now is slightly kind of planning ahead uh with the different training and the um kind of different courses that you can do knowing kind of the costs that might be upcoming and things like that it's definitely very helpful yes do you have sort of a, would you have kind of a main advice to any aspiring lawyers? You sort of touched on some different aspects there. Um, yeah, don't specialise too soon. Don't don't think about what your, uh, where your career is going to be until you've tried different things. I mean, in, in certainly in my firm, in a lot of firms, when you've got a training contract, you go around different departments. And, uh, you know, you, you see how the law is actually practiced in those. And, you know, it's like me, I didn't become a divorce lawyer until somebody dropped dead, um, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend as anybody else's <laughs> career. But, uh, you know, that you, you, you suddenly come across something where, uh, you know, the light, you have a light bulb moment and you think, yeah, this is it. You know, this, this is something that really, really turns me on, uh, really interests me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, although you could say that all aspects of law are the same in that you are using, you know, legal structures to get solutions for clients and it's about negotiation and it's about uh, being commercial, you know, uh, there is a spectrum as to how much human contact you want. I mean, if you're, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, doing drafting commercial stuff, you don't see clients terribly often and the views of the clients aren't terribly important family law there's a very very wide judicial discretion mm-hmm. when their judgments are made so the personalities are much more important and both judicial and client i have to say um so uh try try things don't don't special don't choose your specialism too soon mm-hmm. no i think that's really good advice and particularly even doing a law degree, I get the impression that sort of studying an area of law is completely different to how it will be in practice. So, yeah. Can, it sure is, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I got a, a, a third in family law at degree and I failed it at part two. And I just thought the law is so stupid. I mean, who would write this nonsense? And yet when I practiced it, you know, I became relatively good at it. And, um, you know, I really enjoyed it. Perfect. Thank you. That's really, really great advice. Um, And thank you very much for agreeing to be interviewed today. My pleasure. Really enjoyed it.